You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney with the Haney Company, and I am extremely privileged and excited to have Mr. Michael Smith here with me today. We are going to cover some fun and exciting ground together. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And yourself? I am doing great. You know, even, even in this kind of you know, work from home pandemic environment. I think we're finding finding ways to have fun, uh, to enjoy uh, the time spent together with family, and to try to appreciate and value this experience. And I'm sure you're you're you know a kindred spirit in that regard. So I think, um, while I'll certainly welcome uh, the change to a you know semi normal dynamic whenever that plays out. It's certainly been um, you know a blessing to just have extra time. Uh, with family, because I think, you know, for me, and I don't know about you, uh, if you find yourself on this boat, but for me, it's it's one of those things where you kind of can take certain things for granted when you get to be around family versus when you're working. So it's been good. It's been good. Good. Excellent. So the first four questions uh, for everybody that I interview are usually the most challenging, really thought provoking and um, I know you probably already labored over these, so let's just get, get them out of the way one at a time, and then we can all take a deep breath, all right? Excellent. Let's go for it. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Well, at the end of February of this year, um, I actually spent a week with some friends, uh, my wife and myself and some other friends, to, in Roatan, which is a little island off of Honduras. And I'm a scuba wow. diver, so... We did a week-long trip scuba diving in Roatan, and I had never been there before. And I'm like, I was amazed by that island. Um, not very developed as far as uh, uh, tourism side of things, but it's great for tourism at the same time. It's a little hidden gem. So great beaches, great scuba diving. Prices were very, very reasonable. Um, I think if I was a chance to spend a year someplace, that would be the, that would be the place. Great weather, great beaches, great surf. Awesome. Wow. Never heard of it. Sounds, uh, and every bit fantastic as you've described it. So, uh, I'm going to have to jot that down, put it on the list and check it out. Great, great recommendation. Awesome. Thank you. Uh All right. What food will you not eat under any circumstance? Any kind of raw shellfish, unless I've got a couple of bottles of Benadryl available as well. Okay, so uh, am I detecting a bit of an allergy or? I would say yes. That's about the only thing I have an allergy to is raw shellfish. And uh, I'll swell up and uh, if you ever saw that movie uh, Hitched with Will, with Will Smith yeah. and eating something he swells up, eh, that's kind of me. That's, that's a great scene, yeah. All right, so we can, we can, we can put that on the list. I don't, you know, I'm not a raw, I think anything, certainly in the fish category myself, I've never been a sushi person, even though I know there's a lot of people that just love sushi and it's a big thing in a lot of urban areas like where we live, but I don't know. I've never, I've never developed that kind of palate for it. So uh, shellfish is in that category for me as well. So I, I'm with you there. Um, I cooked, I can eat it, but I just can't do it raw. Yeah. 
If you could have any famous person over for dinner, who would you invite to have a meal with you? Um, you know, I'm going to put a slight twist to that in that I've been fortunate to have dinner and close dinners with a number of famous people. And uh, me being from Wisconsin, I'm going to tell you my favorite dinner that I had with somebody who was famous. That was Bart Starr, uh, the ex-quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. He, is the, he was the most classy guy I've ever met in my life. I had a nice chance to sit at, at a table right next to him and have a nice, some deep conversation with him about life and it was it, how it was under a, coach Vince Lombardi and how it was when he was a coach himself. And uh, he's had some tragedy, you know, Bart Starr's had some tragedy in his life too. And hearing the good, the bad, the ugly, and he just did it with incredible class. So it's a little spin in your question there. Who would you like to have? I'm going to tell you who I did have dinner with. That was awesome. That's yeah, that's pretty unbelievable. Um, he is he is certainly a, a football icon and a great great person from what from all accounts. So that's uh, uh, a repeat dinner guest sounds sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. So I that's can't right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing that I always actually and I probably should have said this. I do account for people who are alive or dead because we've had. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's and a few historical figures on, oh, sure. on that. So it, it fits right in the category. It's a great answer. And uh, we'll be resurrecting a lot of great people and having dinner with them. So not to worry about all that. We'll just, you know, we'll make it work however we need to. <laughs> all right. Besides this podcast, of course, what other podcasts do you listen to or like that you would want to recommend to somebody else? Um, Mike Rowe, the guy who used to host Dirty Jobs, he's had a podcast out now for about three or four years called The Way I Heard It. And for the older listeners, if uh, it was, it's basically a complete ripoff, and he admits this, to Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. So he'll tell it, it's, and it's only 10 minutes long. Each one is a 10-minute podcast. He'll tell a story, um, and then you have to kind of figure out who he's talking about before the big reveal at the end of the 10 minutes when he reveals who he's talking about. So if you've ever heard his voice, it's a nice, deep tone, excellent voice. He's a great storyteller, great writer. And uh, the way I heard it, every time I hear, some, hear that podcast, which is usually comes out on Tuesday mornings every week, um, I look forward to that every Tuesday morning, being able to chance to take a listen to that. I think he's got like 150 episodes or almost 160 episodes already done. So you can knock that out over, over quarantine. <laughs> yeah. No, great recommendation. And uh, that show was one that I uh, watched, you know, here and there, because it's always just fascinating to see, not just dirty, but, you know, really all the variety of, of professional endeavors people undertake. I also liked uh, The Deadliest Catch. And those kind of things are just, you know, there's, there's a ton of professions and things that people do. And, uh, it's it, it's fascinating. So great one more thing with that too. Um, he's got a Facebook show on called Returning the Favor, and uh, he's been kind of tied up a little bit here, obviously. But um, he's got about three or four seasons out of that, and that is where he shows up at somebody who's a bloody do-gooder somewhere in the, in the country, and they do a little documentary on him. And then he surprises them at the end with different gifts or things like that to help the cause and. I'd have to say 90% of the time, the participants or the, the charities or the, the bloody do-gooders that he's helping have no idea what's coming. So it's, it's, it's another little thing that I think is fantastic. Love that. Great, great recommendations. I love this. Yep. You know, 
um, collecting all these these answers. At some point, I'm going to compile a, a best of list. So um, yeah, these are just uh, awesome and fascinating finds. So thanks for sharing. Why don't we uh, get into getting to know you a little bit. Why don't you tell the audience about yourself, what you do, you know, what your areas of expertise are so we can uh, know what a day in the life of Michael Smith's all about. Excellent. Uh, I've been in the insurance side of things since about 1996. And then in 2001, I bought what's called an insurance brokerage general agency. So we help financial advisors, insurance agents, attorneys, and accountants who are looking to help their clients with various aspects of insurance. We do life insurance, disability, long-term care, annuities. We do a lot of these living benefits, which is either a life insurance or annuity with long-term care benefits or critical illness riders. So I'm what's called, like I said, a brokerage general agency. We have access to dozens of carriers. So our role is to help the advisor help their clients find what's in their best interest. And, and it's so important as someone that runs an independent practice myself, um, you, what you do in your role is so critical to our success because, you know, for us to engage uh, and make sure that we can pull the right things off the shelf, um, that's, that's where you come in. So um, thanks for, for doing what you're doing because uh, we need it. We need that kind of a help, that kind of support uh, and to be able to count on a team that, goes out and connects with carriers and brings the right things to the table so well one of the things you said there is the word team and that's that's what we really try to be is part of your team often a brokerage general agency never meets the consumer they never meet your client and we often find that a lot of financial advisors when they're more in the uh, investment side of things are don't have a the strongest knowledge when it comes to insurance insurance products so uh, much like I have a very rudimentary knowledge on investments. I could help people, you know, set up an IRA or do mutual funds, and I will do an incredibly below average job because that's <laughs> not the T's. Uh, I, I know insurance like the back of my hand. And, and uh, when you do the team approach, that's where you can always make sure the client's best interest is, is in mind. And that's so important in, in today. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And um, yeah, you know, and I want to segue into you and I uh, talked about this initially beforehand and kind of just at a very high level. Um, one of the big passion areas that I have that I know is also an area of expertise that you share is helping the, you know, the professionals in the industry address a major societal concern. And that's, you know, the world kind of of longevity. With the fastest growing portion of our population, people that are, you know, Medicare age, essentially, and up, um, how can we start to, you know, examine what aging looks like in this current climate and environment and maybe talk about just things that, that probably the average person doesn't know uh, about, whether it's some of the statistics behind it or really just what that type of an experience is and the financial elements that are involved? Well, when it comes to aging, I think where a lot of people make a mistake is not taking into consideration healthcare needs in retirement. Yes, I think most people are aware of and understand that there's for health insurance, there's Medicare, um, and they might get Medicare supplements or 
something along those lines to help make sure that the kind of the daily maintenance uh, and major health issues are covered. But where I th a lot of mistakes are made is not being realistic about the needs of ne needing some kind of long-term care services. And I'm not just sitting here talking about a, a nursing home. I'm talking about whether you need help with uh, getting dressed in the morning or feeding yourself or transferring, uh, or if you've got a cognitive impairment like Alzheimer's or dementia, um, people have to realize that there's a high probability that they're going to need some sort of long-term care services before they pass away. And those services could be at home. Um, and that's how it was like for my dad. And I'll get back to that and I'll get, come back to that a little bit later, but um, it's, it's expensive and it's stressful in a family. And being able to address this and more importantly, have some kind of a plan. If it's a married couple, they have a plan with each other is, hey, if something happens to us health-wise and we can't take care of ourselves, what's our plan? What are we gonna do? Or if you're a single individual and you have that discussion with the family, something happens to me, what's the plan? Who's gonna take care of me? Where am I gonna be taken care of? How is this all gonna be paid for? So if there's one area I wish America could really take a harder look at, it's that area. Um, and, it, and thankfully, more and more people are doing that. We're starting to see more positive articles written. Um, actually, probably the last five, six years, we've seen positive articles written in major uh, newsletters and, and newspapers and podcasts and TV shows about addressing long-term care needs. Now, it's, it, you, you made such a great point. And, you know, I certainly think, uh, you know, especially when we're working on preparing someone for retirement, a lot of times, you know, the focus is on, you know, how are we creating that income, managing those assets, all that kind of stuff. But you're right, it's, it is definitely an understated and sometimes overlooked part of that conversation. And I think, um, you know, you also mentioned something that I want to kind of touch on a little bit more as well. And that's really, you know, so much of long-term care, the conversation, it's not so much about the, the financial part as it is about the relational part of the equation, right? And you mentioned even some, some very tangible examples, you know, uh, a, a couple, a husband and wife, if one of them, or, or maybe we should probably say when one of the two of them needs care in some capacity or for some reason, well, the care is going to happen. Usually, it's the question of at whose expense, right? Is it going to be, you know, is a spouse going to all of a sudden turn around and having to be changing uh, the other party's, you know, God forbid, clothes, diapers, etc. You know, where's that burden going to fall? And also, when there are, you know, uh, grown adult children or close by, you know, how does all this get woven together at the relational level? And I think that that's something that, you know, you really mentioned that's kind of worth exploring, right? As we navigate the conversation, recognizing that it's not the question as to whether or not somebody's going to get care, right? They're going to get care. It's really how is that going to play out? Who's going to be responsible? That's a huge part of it. And that's where we try to advocate um, to have people get a plan in writing. If something were to happen to me, this is where I want to receive care. This is who I want to receive the care by. This is, if I have to go to facility, this is where I want to have the facility. If I have to pay for my care, what assets do I want to liquidate first to help, help go to that care? 
And I, and we try to educate the financial advisor to have that conversation with the clients as well, because um, if something were to happen and there's no written plan, sometimes it's just a mess and try, and you get people from different parts of the family who disagree on the kind of care or that where the money's coming from to pay for it, or why is the money being paid? Why is money being used at all? And which assets to be sold and tax ramifications. I, I try to advocate, you know, as young as you possibly can be and in good health, get a plan or a roadmap in writing and share that with the financial advisor, the attorney, the insurance agent, and the members of the family who are most going to be affected by this. So there's no question on what the, what the goal is and what the plan is. So important. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. You know, it's funny, there's, there's a lot of time, there's, there's such a high emphasis on estate planning and wills and trusts and all that kind of stuff. And we, you know, we can be very engaged in making sure when we pass on, everybody else is taken care of and there's all this infrastructure and due diligence and all that. But, but the reality is before we pass on, this is really as important. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's really important to create a framework that removes kind of the guesswork for the other parties that might likely be at the table when a care situation starts to unfold. And that's kind of, you know, what you're talking about. It's, it's, instead of having two, three, four, five, ten 10 heads, all with the best intentions, but maybe not necessarily knowing the best way to go about it, having that kind of a plan, creating that kind of a roadmap certainly makes those conversations a lot easier and takes a lot of that uh, burden off the shoulders of people that really want to see this done right, but may not know what your wishes are and kind of how to navigate it. Right. Really good. Um, you know, as we're talking about this idea of caregiving, um, I want to switch gears and actually have a little conversation about um, the impact that long-term care and really caregiving is having on the general workforce at large. We're starting to see, as you mentioned, uh, some articles written about this and I think some attention being paid towards it, um, not just necessarily in the Family Medical Leave Act arena, but really a recognition that because the fastest growing portion of the population is the aging population that may be in need of care, but there is now uh, a corollary impact happening on people who might be uh, professionals and yet finding themselves in the role of informally providing care or helping to support a situation in their family where care is needed. And let's kind of start to talk about that because, um, you know, if, if somebody's an employer, this is something to be really aware of because it's hitting really everybody in every segment uh, of the marketplace. That is a huge issue. Um, most of us want to stay in our homes when we, as we get older. Um, mm -hmm. But to do that, it could be a, put a heck of a strain on the caregivers. And today, about 80% of the care is provided in the home and is provided by unpaid caregivers, which is usually family members. And they spend an average of about 20 hours a week providing care. And two-thirds of that are women. Two-thirds of the 20 are spending, you know, the people providing care are women with balancing a job and childcare responsibilities. And not only is there an emotional strain, but there's a financial impact on that unpaid, unpaid giver as well. 
Uh, I think I saw a study that talked about it's an estimated caregivers lose an average of over $300,000 in wages and benefits over their lifetime because they're, they're being caregivers to a, to a loved one. Um, wow. And, and I, I lived this personally. My dad had a uh, bypass when he was 58 years old and 58, 59, somewhere in that area. And he was recovering at home and he ended up having a stroke. And it affected uh, the left side of his body. So he lost the ability to use his left arm and leg, um, but he could still communicate and things. But he spent the rest, he spent nine years needing care. Now, most of that was at home, but because of the planning we had done, which was not perfect planning because we weren't prepared for this ourselves. We had some planning done, but wasn't perfect. We didn't expect at 59 for an incident to happen, but he needed care, like I said, for nine years. Almost all of it was at home. He, could, he was in a wheelchair, um, and we had a, a caregiver come to the house um, five days a week for about six hours a day because my mom was still working. She was the one who had the benefits. My sister and I tried to provide assistance as best as possible, but we were young parents. We had little kids at home and things too, so we're juggling that aspect. And we are fortunate enough, because we had some planning done, to be able to have a caregiver come in. But even still, on weekends when we didn't have a caregiver, and my mom was the primary caregiver, and my, or my sister and I came over and helped out, it was emotionally draining. There's no question on that. And uh, it was very challenging. And and a stressful time. And after my dad passed, um, things got back to normal at least, but there was a very challenging nine years, no question on that. Well, and that's, you know, you've articulated and given a very uh, concrete example of something that I think a lot of people identify with, whether personally or they know someone who's had something similar happen. I mean, really, this is a recurring dynamic that is impacting a lot of people across the landscape of our society and our culture where, you know, uh, you have, and, and really in the workplace, it's, it's a productivity impact and it's usually a significant personal impact for that person in your situation, right, who's exhausted because over the weekend you have dual responsibilities as both parent and then, you know, caregiver. And, you know, it just, you see people coming in that, you know, outside of this situation, we're doing really well and really great and really engaged. And all of a sudden, um, it, you know, I, I heard somebody describe it to me very well. They saw this person in a caregiving situation and said, it looked like they were slowly having life sucked out of them. And I've, I've always remembered that statement because it was such a vivid uh, quantification of what was happening, right? Of, of, of how you might describe how that experience can just leave an impact on you. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's certainly what we're talking about and all of these various elements of this long-term care dynamic. This is a really significant thing for everybody to be discussing and finding a way to get solutions together to start to address it. And you already mentioned the plan kind of like a family plan and a care plan. Let's also talk about um, long-term care coverage because we understand that there's also an insurance solution that helps to address some of the costs and the financial burdens that a long-term care scenario can uh, you know, obviously involve. What would you talk about when it comes to looking at insurance solutions for long-term care? Well, I think it's a, it's a definitely a team approach with the financial advisor 
to help figure out is long-term care insurance even needed? And so we try to educate and, and do a stress test of the client's portfolio. And it's not a perfect stress test, but it really kind of gets the ball rolling and having a conversation and whether an insurance product should be considered. So if you stress test the portfolio and you say, okay, say at the age of 80, one of the, the I'll just pick on the husband here. The husband has a stroke and needs care for four years and look at projecting the care to cost roughly $100,000 a year. Um, it, can that portfolio survive a $400,000 hit to the portfolio? And then when that person passes and there's an income reduction, can the surviving spouse have enough income to help make up, to help up, make up for the situation? And so that's where, if, if it looks like the stress test, the portfolio says, yeah, you know what, they can, they can self-pay if they wanted to. They've got enough money. They're sitting with a couple million bucks and we can afford to self-pay. And my, my spouse's income is not going to be uh, depleted too much. Maybe we don't need to look at insurance. We can uh, afford to self-pay. But for those where, boy, a $400,000 hit plus a reduction in income could really damage the, the lifestyle of the surviving spouse. Yeah, that's where you take a look and say, maybe we should look at a form of long-term care insurance. And there's a couple different types of long-term care insurance now. There's traditional long-term care insurance, which is, I'm happy to get into at some point, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And then there's also, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, there's also some uh, life insurance or annuities with long-term care provisions where you can actually have access to the death benefit of the life insurance while you're alive to help pay for care. And all of these plans can cover uh, comprehensive care. So home health care, assisted living, or nursing home care. And the last one really is kind of annuities with long-term care features. Um, there's a lot of people who have purchased uh, annuities that are not part of a retirement plan. And they wonder why they kind of have them. And lots of times they were just simply sold them by an insurance advisor or a bank representative. And they really don't need the money. They're sitting there with this money in a savings account that's growing tax deferred. And what do I do with it? I really don't need the money. Well, maybe it makes some sense to reposition that to an annuity that provides long-term care benefits so you can have access to that, those dollars plus more to help pay for long-term care. So about three, I'll keep it real simple here, about three different methods to use some form of insurance to help pay for long-term care expenses. No, and, and that's a great way to lay out that landscape because that is important. And, and I'm glad you also started with taking a look at you know, the total financial picture and just kind of having that conversation, right? Because naturally, outside of insurance, regardless of how much money you have or not, where the money comes from is already whatever you've got. <laughs> right, so exactly. It, it's really good to see that, but then to see that through the lens of the care scenario, because I think a lot of times, you know, we either naturally don't want to think that that's possible or maybe we just don't even know well how do I quantify that if I'm trying to account for it in my retirement income planning scenario and if I'm trying to allocate you know my retirement assets the right way strategically how could I factor in some form of a care need that certainly goes beyond just a regular income planning scenario and I think that that's certainly one thing I know our practice has really been engaged with, if we're talking retirement with someone, it's, it's retirement 
plus this situation that we have to make sure that we cover the bases on because you're absolutely right when you you, know, you detail you know hey by the way if it costs you if you're taking out sixty thousand a year in retirement that's just to live but if you need care you still need that sixty thousand dollars too <laughs> right now it's a whole different other element so I, I really appreciate that starting point I think that's a great uh, important component that every you know I hope our audience really understands as you're putting this plan together in terms of what your desires might be in a care scenario, who all might be involved, et cetera, you should also really be looking at the totality of your finances to determine cost feasibility. You know, if the money's gonna come from somewhere, is it all gonna come out, you know, of your pocket? What are the assets gonna look like? You also mentioned, let's say $400,000 coming out of retirement funds, and, and let's assume, and just in this, for the sake of argument, that that's all in an IRA, well, that's $400,000 of income, right? That's all taxable to pay for that care. So always making sure that you see all of those moving parts and, and all of that financial impact. And that's really important. And then I liked, I liked how you, you laid out the ways that there are now, you know, really three buckets of available insurance, uh, let's just say, uh, policies or coverages that are now available that people can, you know, Take, take advantage of and look at to satisfy the need. And let's talk a little bit about just, um, you know, the gaps that you find that, that then the insurance would come in and, and play an important role to address. So the gaps in insurance you're basically asking about? Well, I think that not just the gaps in insurance, but really, you know, we, we created a scenario and, and your, your numbers were really good. So, you know, let's say that there's a, a $400,000 need and maybe okay. even one that they want to have, you know, they could partially fund. But what is it that you really see the insurance doing? Uh, so, people? yeah, um, I think a lot of it depends upon what that client wants their long-term care insurance to do. Do they want to have it cover everything or just put a nice dent in the bill? Um, and I think for those clients who say, I don't necessarily need it to cover everything because I do have some assets. I do have some income coming in. But if I can, if I'm sitting here with a $6,000 a month long-term care expense, whether it's at home or nursing home ever, and I can have 4000 that covered by insurance, that puts a heck of a dent in the bill and I can make manage and manage with the other assets that I have um, and still make sure that my retirement plan stays on track and my income situation stays on track or my surviving spouse's income stays on track. I think it's for most people, they want to have it put a nice dent in a bill and to have it cover everything, especially when long-term care services is an unknown. Nobody knows if it's going to happen to you. You, you. you certainly hope it doesn't, but if you sit there and pay a lot of money into some kind of insurance, and you never go on claim, that eats at a lot of people. I mean, thankfully they never needed to go on claim, but that's the nature of insurance. There's very few insurances that are out there that you know you're definitely gonna collect on. Um, you know, much like auto and homeowners, you may never collect on that. Yeah, you've made years and years of premium payments. Well, that could be the case with long-term care insurance. You may never collect on it. Or for some reason, long-term care insurance is one of those uh, insurances that people don't like the fact that they may never use it. You know, why am I taking all these premiums and I never use it? Uh, I'm, 
so being able to find something that supplements the plan or provides some kind of dollars, it doesn't have to cover everything, but it covers a, puts a big dent in the bill, I think is incredibly important for a lot of people. And I usually try to start people off with maybe a, a five or $6,000 monthly benefit. So if they go on claim, if they have a long-term care insurance policy, and they start, they go on claim and start receiving benefits, they're going to get five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. That seems to be a sweet spot where a lot of people are saying, okay, that's reasonable. I've got other assets that can help up make up the difference. But if I've got a hundred thousand dollar bill and I can cover 70% of that with insurance, that's comfortable for them. Well, and I love how you, you really, you know, helped paint that picture of that gap and really the conversation that people are having. What role does insurance need to play? And you're right, it's a very personal, uh, subjective conversation that people have because, you know, depending on A, your means and B, your assets, you know, what, what one person might say they want and or need can be very different from what somebody else will say. And so I really like how you walk through that. And, and that's a very important point to make in terms of you know, insurance doesn't have to do everything. There can always be some kind of cost sharing. And, you know, I love the analogy of an auto insurance policy, right? You can have a big auto deductible, you can have a small auto deductible, and it depends on why you might want one versus the other. It depends on, you know, your needs, your wants, your car, your ability to, all of those things come into play. So I really like how you laid that out. Um, and I do want to get into, not, not too technical, but just, you know, if, if we're talking to somebody and they say, hey, you know, what types of insurance long-term care uh, solutions should I be considering? Let's kind of walk through some of the pros and cons of the three types that you mentioned. And let's start with a traditional long-term care policy. Um, what would you say the real pros and, and really kind of the advantage of that type of a policy and, and the role it plays at addressing this long-term care risk are? Well, all of these policies are comprehensive now. All the good ones are. So they cover home health, assisted living, and nursing home care. So when we're, as we're talking about this, keep in mind that all of these products are basically comprehensive. But yep. traditional long-term care insurance is always going to give you the best bang for your buck, meaning that you're gonna get the most potential benefit out of the policy for the least amount of premium provided you go on claim. So it's gonna be the most inexpensive way to get the most benefit dollars almost all the time. Um, what you can do, and you can have husband and wife on there, and if you have a husband and wife or same-sex partners and all that too, um, you get discounts if they both get insurance. Um, they don't have to have the exact same types of coverage, uh, but if they're both on a traditional long-term care policy, there's discounts uh, available that I think are worth looking at no matter what. Um, I've had it in the past where uh, the, the wife wants long-term care insurance and the husband doesn't want anything to do with it because you know he's bulletproof and 10 feet tall and it's not going to happen to him. Um, but if we add him onto the policy, it's actually cheaper to add him onto the policy than to have the wife just by herself. So when you have a traditional long-term care policy, having it be comprehensive and having it both spouses, if, if both spouses are available to be insured is, is incredibly important because there's discounts on that aspect. The downside, let me talk about the downside because I think that's important is that 
what if you pass away without using it? Okay, well, the wise acre in me says, congratulations, you went quickly and didn't need to go through the hell of living in a, in a nursing home or need long-term care services. So <laughs> that, that's somewhat of a blessing, unfortunately. But um, it, it, there is no return of premium. I mean, there are companies that have return of premium provisions on their traditional long-term care policies. It's never purchased. It's so expensive, it doesn't make any sense to add the return of premium rider on it. It's very, very rarely purchased. So one of the downsides is what happens if I pass away without using it? That's much like the auto insurance or homeowners, maybe you never went on claim. Another negative, however, is has to do with the history of traditional long-term care insurance. And back when long-term care insurance first came out, a lot of the insurance companies and the actuarials at the insurance companies really messed up. Um, and that's, it's not on purpose. It was pure ignorance on some aspects. And then that's not knocking the actuaries. It's just the, the unknown. They didn't realize how many people who bought long-term care insurance were going to keep their coverage. A lot of times when, people, when insurance companies price different products, they are going to assume a certain number of people are going to just apply for coverage or buy coverage and at some point drop it. Well, people are not dropping long-term care insurance. They're keeping it and they're going on claim. The other aspect they kind of messed up on was interest rates. Um, you know, when they first came out with the product, interest rates were a little bit different. And now that we've been in a low interest rate environment for roughly, God, what are we at, nine, 10 years of maybe 12 years of a low interest rate environment, um, they mispriced the product. They just assumed that the premiums that were coming in, they could turn around and invest those premiums and, and earn a, a, a decent re rate of return on it. Well, that hasn't been the case. So what has happened here is a lot of these insurance companies, in fact, almost, almost all of them, have had to raise the premiums on policyholders even after the policy was issued. Now, they couldn't just pick on Brian and his family because they had a health issue. They had to raise the premiums on everybody in that particular state with that particular type of long-term care policy. And some of those rate increases have been significant, 30, 40, 50%. So it's very challenging that aspect, and, and that has been a negative aspect about traditional long-term care insurance and why a lot of financial planners don't even like discussing long-term cares because they're aware of the um, rate increases that have happened in the past. And when I say in the past, they still happen today on policies that were issued you know, back in the 2000s and, and in that aspect. But since some regulation change happened in 2012, a lot of the insurance companies have repriced their products for new sales and they have not had the rate increase on existing policyholders for those who purchase policies since 2012. Um, I can't say that that's never going to happen. There won't be a rate increase down the line, but a lot of these actuarials and a lot of the insurance companies feel that they've got the pricing uh, the product price properly. Um, they don't feel there will be rate increases. If there would be a rate increase, they're thinking that it might be 10 or 12% as opposed to the 30 or 40% that they've seen in the past. So I think, and I, it's my belief as well as a lot of more of the educated people in this part of the industry that the, the huge rate increases are a thing of the past. And although we can't guarantee there won't be rate increases on new policies purchased today, we feel that uh, the probability is a lot less. And so now is a good time to be looking at traditional long-term care insurance as a possible solution to, a, to the problem. That's right, you, you, you laid it out 
very well, both sides of that equation. And I really appreciate that. Um, and I want to, you know, use those pros and cons to now transfer over and talk about a life insurance with a long-term care rider or a life with long-term care policy design that a, a lot of people now are starting to look at um, that some of the, the design elements of using life insurance actually help address some of those cons on the traditional side. So let's look about, let's talk about that real quick for a second. You know, what, what might somebody understand uh, the value proposition, the pros, the advantages of using life insurance with a long-term care component to it? And what are the disadvantages? Okay, so I wanna point out something here that life insurance with a long-term care rider or also known as a chronic illness rider, there's, there's slight differences. That's a little on the technical side but you can actually have access to the death benefit while you're alive if you need long-term care services. Those, the best policies to do that are permanent life insurance policies, either universal life or whole life with one of those riders, long-term care or chronic illness rider. There are some companies and they're very good companies that you can actually do it with term insurance as well, but it's not the, quite the same feature and benefit where you can have a term policy, you can have access to it for long-term care or chronic illness. Um, but I don't usually suggest that for the serious long-term care planning, because at some point the term insurance is going to end. And uh, because it's, it's, you know, maybe it ends when you're 70. Okay. Well, if you're 72 and the stroke hits, you don't have that term policy with the long-term care to provide those benefits. So for the rest of the conversation, I think it will focus on permanent insurance for long-term with long-term care riders Perfect. And, and what you do here is you have access to the death benefit while you're alive in mon monthly increments essentially there are ways you can do it in lump sums but most of them are monthly increments so if you've got a um a five a three hundred thousand dollar long-term i'm sorry a three hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy and you can have access to two percent of the face amount every single month for long-term care services 2% of 300,000 is $6,000 a month. So you can have your life insurance give, provide you $6,000 a month every month as long as you need care. And again, that's home health care, assisted living or nursing home care. What you're actually doing is tapping into the death benefit of the life insurance now while you're alive. So every time you pull out 6,000, that does lower the amount of life insurance you have left over. Um, but again, it's your choice. It's the consumer's choice. If they need the money while they're alive and use it for long-term care expenses, let them take it. And so when it comes to life insurance and long-term care, the amount of long-term care insurance you're going to have is usually equal to the face amount of the insurance. It's 300000 of life insurance, and you're, therefore you've got 300000 for long-term care. 500000 for life, 500000 for long-term care. And here's the cool thing, Brian, is that if you take the money out of the policy, it's tax-free. So you can have tax-free benefits from the life insurance to pay for long-term care expenses. Now, it works best if you've got an existing life insurance policy with cash value that the existing policy does not have a long-term care provision on it. You can go back to your existing insurance company and see if they will add a long-term care rider to your policy um, but you're going to have to prove you're healthy enough and go through underwriting again. So 
there, I have not seen any company that will just add a long-term care rider to an existing policy, especially if that policy is already 9, 10, 15, 20 years old. So what we see a lot more and what's becoming more popular is taking the cash value of the life insurance and transferring it either internally to the same company or outside to a different company and adding a long-term care provision. And we've seen the numbers work to the consumer's advantage and many times. And here's one of the main reasons why. If you're sitting here with a permanent insurance policy that's anything more than three or four years older, older, older than now, those are either they're using the 1980 mortality tables or the early 2000, 2001 mortality tables. Now what a mortality table is, is the insurance companies take a look at what life expectancy is. And as medical technology has advanced, the cost of mortality tables have come down. People are living longer. And because people are living longer, the cost of insurance comes down. So the most recent mortality tables were just updated a couple of years ago. So in, 19, in, in 2019 and 2020, insurance companies are coming out with new products priced with the new mortality tables and thus making the cost of insurance cheaper. So if you've got cheaper insurance and now you can possibly add a long-term care rider, that's where we can really see the numbers work. We've been able to have people increase the amount of life insurance they have but add a long-term care rider and possibly do it for less premium or no premium at all. So it's worth exploring that aspect. And some people I say, well, I really don't need any more life insurance. You, life insurance might not be the play. The play might be for long-term care. So if you're sitting here with a $100,000 life insurance policy and you can transfer the cash value and get $150,000 life insurance, but that also includes long-term care, what you've actually done there is added $150,000 for your long-term care benefits for either, for lots of times, no premium or less premium that you're currently paying because of the new mortality tables. So it's worth taking the time to explore that. Now the negative side on a couple of things with that is that life insurance is going to be, with a long-term care rider, is going to be more expensive than traditional long-term care insurance, especially if you're starting out from scratch. If you don't have cash value to transfer over and you say, okay, I just want to buy a $300,000 life insurance policy to provide $6,000 a month for long-term care. I want one and so does my wife. It's going to be probably twice the cost of a traditional long-term care policy. But why would somebody do that? Well, what if they just can't get over the objection of what if I pass away without using long-term care benefits? At least there's life insurance. So it's something to explore. Is it the right solution? In many cases, it can be. But when we ask for, when somebody looks at us for some long-term care insurance guidance, we take a look at all the different options and we present all the different options in a very simplified manner to help the consumer understand, okay, is this an avenue I should explore further? Maybe I don't want to do traditional long-term care insurance because I just can't, I don't want to, I can't get over the objection of what if I pass without collecting from it. So let's look at life insurance. And I do have this policy that's got 40,000 of cash value. Is that something we can utilize? So it's a comprehensive approach. It's a comprehensive solution. And it's a team approach working with the financial advisor 
and, or the insurance advisor to say, okay, what is in my client's best interest? Should I look at traditional or should I look at life insurance with a long-term care rider? Both can work. We've had people who do both. It all depends upon that individual's particular needs. It's not cookie cutter by any means. No, you're, you're so right. And, and that's, again, also part of the benefit now that these types of policies have, have been developed over the years, um, you know, in, in a manner of speaking, there's now more options for the consumer than there may have been, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And you're absolutely right. It's really, you know, what, how do we arrive at the solution that fits you like a suit, right? We don't just need to, you know, buy a, a large, an extra large or whatever, and just hope it works. You want a custom tailored solution and I really appreciate how you're kind of walking through each of these and, and also the framework that, that a lot of times we find people operating under that might lead them in one direction over another. And let's really quickly, um, let's just talk about how annuities that have a long-term care uh, component to them can also work uh, as an asset play um, and, and what you see uh, in using annuities with long-term care and how they, they can come to the table and help someone out. If someone has an annuity and they don't need the income from the annuity, then it makes some sense to take a look at reposition the annuity to also provide long-term care benefits. Most of these annuities are safe investments. There's a fist, fixed income and fixed interest rate annuity that has long-term care provisions. And one of the easiest ways to describe it is Whatever the account value of the annuity is, you triple it, and that's what could be available for care. So if you're sitting here with $100,000 in an annuity, it's worth $100,000 if you need it for income. But if you need it for long-term care purposes, it can be worth $300,000 for long-term care benefits. Um, and there's, the underwriting on that is, is relatively simple. It's, you still have to qualify because you, can't, you have, can't be sitting here already ready to make a claim. You have to be healthy enough to get an annuity. Uh, with long-term care provisions, but it's not that difficult to do. And how it works is if you go on claim, again, home health is to live in a nursing home, you're taking the money from your annuity first. So again, using the $100,000 example, the first 100,000 that comes out is your own money, but it's coming out tax-free, which might not be the case of your existing annuity right now. If you take the money out of your annuity right now to pay for long-term care, and it's not the right kind of annuity, you'll have to pay tax on that gain first. But if it's the right kind of annuity with long-term care features, you can take that money out tax-free. And after you've gone through your 100,000, then you're kind of tapping into the insurance company's money and there might be another 200,000, using our example, that's available for your care, that is the insurance company's money that's helping pay for your care. And again, it's tax-free. So for those people who have annuities that they just don't think they're going to use the money for, I think it's worth exploring whether you can, should reposition it and leverage it for an annuity with long-term care provisions. I love that word leverage, asset leverage. Just you know, taking money you already have and giving it some extra juice that could help you address a very real need. That's great. Um, you, Michael, you did just an excellent job kind of walking through this with me and I really appreciate that. Now, I wanna kind of wrap up, but um, uh, in, in doing so, I want to focus on one final uh, part of the market. Our team works a lot with associations and association executives and, and particularly 
in, in kind of the corporate arena when we talk about things like executive benefits, executive carve-outs, or just kind of um, high earning carve-out possibilities. Now, I know you've probably started to see or, or done some work in this arena, but how do you see long-term care potentially being something that when it comes to the executive planning arena or maybe a benefits carve-out structure, is that something that an association professional might be considering? An association professional, I think a lot depends upon the relationship with the business owner or the owners of a business here. When we see long, there really isn't any good companies out there that provide group benefits for long-term care. And there are some companies that do association long-term care policies, but I'm going to be blunt. I, I haven't seen the sales or the participation from the, the association member be all that advantageous. Um, there's some professional associations that you and I belong to, for example, that have long-term care provisions in there. So a member can purchase long-term care insurance. But I think if you had an honest conversation with those associations or the insurance companies, they're going to find that participation isn't, hasn't been that great. I don't know why that is, because it's one of those things that it's an opportunity to get some reasonably decent coverage through an association. But I think that um, where, where business owners really can play, make a play here is on a carve out for themselves or their executive team or key members of their, of their team, uh, of their business and their employees. That's where we're starting to see or have been seeing more participation of that. You, if you're a business, you can have solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Employer solutions. If you're a business owner, there's a way where you can get long-term care insurance either for yourself or through for your key employees and have a tax deductible. That's a great point. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I definitely, that's where we've, we've certainly seen it in that kind of that carve out space or that executive space. Um, it is something that more and more people I think are starting to at least talk about. Uh, and I'm glad that you, you mentioned that and also pointed out the fact that, you know, if you're, if you're in a for-profit situation, there can be some additional tax advantages. So definitely something to, to explore uh, you know, with an advisor or a professional, if that's the situation you find yourself in. Um, Michael, any kind of final shout outs that you'd like to make? And yes, I think going back to what we talked about very briefly in the beginning, develop a plan, get some yeah. kind of plan in writing, whether insurance is involved or not, have a plan in writing. We've actually got a booklet, which I'm happy to send to you or anybody can uh, take a look at no obligation booklet. It's just, uh, what's your plan? It's a little roadmap and how to figure out what you want to have happen if you need care. And if you do decide to take a look at long-term care insurance, remember what I said, do you want your long-term care insurance to cover everything or just put a dent in a bill? You can get a decent plan for under $200 a month. Um, I've seen people get a good long-term care plan for about 150 bucks a month. So it can be very, very affordable. I know a lot of people here that traditional long-term care insurance is very expensive. It can be as expensive or inexpensive as you want it to be. It's up to the consumer to figure out what's affordable and what kind of plan design do I want. And something is better than nothing, even if it's only a $3,000 a month benefit. Home health care right now is about four or $5,000 a month. If you've got 3000 of a $5,000 bill covered and it only costs you 150 bucks a month to get that kind of coverage, that's worth at least exploring. But get a plan in writing. That's great. Thank you. If somebody needs to get a hold of you, how do they contact you? 
Well, I'm in uh, Wisconsin, good old Packer country. Uh, and actually, the Bucks were going because this would have been our year. But I'm in Milwaukee. The name of uh, my firm is called CPS Horizon. So my website is cpshorizon.com. Um, certainly, you can reach out to me in that aspect. And my email is simply mike at cpshorizon.com. And that's C is in Charlie, P is in Pumpkin, S is in Samantha, Horizon with an H, H-O-R-I-Z-O-N.com. Awesome. Michael, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you for making time for us today. Happy to do it. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC.